Well, it's good to be with you, with you all again this evening. And uh, now that we have wrapped up the book of Hosea this morning, uh, I, was, I was wondering what to do next and still haven't quite decided what I was going to do next. Uh, but uh, I, I realized that I haven't uh, ever uh, preached uh, through my, my favorite verse of Scripture, and so I thought I would, uh, I would fix that uh, this evening. Uh, but, but after what Rick said this morning, joking, uh, I thought maybe I should just go all the way back through Hosea <laughs> just to test everyone's patience one more time. No, we're just going to look at uh, one verse this evening, uh, Psalm 27, verse 4. Uh, this verse is, uh, it's been meaningful to me in so many different ways. In, in more ways than I'll be able to share with you uh, tonight. But it's a, a verse that's, that's meant a lot. It's a verse I've committed to memory uh, some, some years ago uh, because I, I desperately needed uh, something, a, a life model or some kind of a verse that I could go back to. Uh, it's, it's a verse I have displayed uh, on my uh, uh, computer screen as a, as a uh, wallpaper or uh, on my uh, like task management, whatever you want to call it. Something that's always there every time I look at it and see what I have to do uh, for the tasks I have before me for that day, I see that verse. Uh, this verse reminds me of what's important. It's, uh, it's one of those verses, one of those verses I'll repeat to myself whenever I'm uh, struggling or if I have the desires of the flesh or the lust of the flesh uh, tempting me. Uh, it's something I'll, I'll, um, I'll pray to myself. And so you can imagine I, I can pray it multiple times probably every day. But it's, uh, it's, it's an important verse. It's, it's, uh, if you were here at my ordination and installation service, I was just thinking about that. That was just over a year ago. So that's it's pretty remarkable to think about. It's already been a year. Uh, but we, we sung this psalm at that service uh, because that's just something I've wanted to be a part of, of my life. And uh, so Psalm 27.4 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's the, that's the one verse I have for us this evening. It's a, a one request. It's one desire. It's, it's one Lord, our God. So uh, let's, let me uh, pray for us as we begin, uh, and then let's, let's look and examine this verse, this verse together. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father uh, and our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we pray this evening as we've, we've gathered together uh, to worship you. Uh, what a strange thing that we're doing, that we're spending this Sunday evening uh, together in this room uh, to worship you. Uh, but yet that's what you've called us to, and it's the most wonderful thing we could be doing because uh, you are the one thing uh, that we need. You are our, our one desire, the one thing that will satisfy us, the one thing that gives our life meaning and joy and happiness and purpose. And so we, we pray for this evening. We pray for the, the preaching of your word as we, as we hear from your word. Uh, would you speak to us? Would you help us to, to grow in our love and our desire for you? That we could truly pray and, uh, and with sincerity and with genuineness say uh, that you are the, the one thing that we desire, that we seek after, that we ask for. And so we do. We ask for that this evening. Uh, would you hear our prayers and answer them? We pray. Amen. So this, uh, this psalm, Psalm 24, or 27, sorry, verse 4. We don't know exactly uh, at what point in David's life that he would have written this psalm. It, it could have been uh, before uh, he was uh, crowned king and uh, during that, that time fleeing from Saul. Uh, it could have been uh, during his, his reign as he still uh, had several different trials and, and uh, did many difficulties that he faced. It also could have been near the end of his life, and he's reflecting back on God's goodness to him. We're, we're not exactly sure, uh, but regardless when it was written, 
and we look at these, the first three verses of, of the psalm, we can see that David is either presently or at least he's reflecting on some periods of, of great distress in his life. And it's likely that uh, he might as well have been on the run at this time and, and hiding. And, uh, uh, and perhaps he even wrote this psalm while he was sitting in a damp, uh, dark cave, uh, hiding from his, his enemies and uh, missing the comforts of his home. But at any rate, this, this psalm, and, and especially this verse, is, is a prayer for us that we can pray back to God, regardless of circumstances, when we're joyful or when we're sorrowful. And, and I don't know uh, what this uh, previous week has been like for you or, or uh, even this afternoon, how the afternoon went. And I, I don't know what's ahead of you uh, in the weeks and months in your, in your future. I don't know if there's uh, joyful times, if there's baby showers and weddings, or if there's, there's funerals and, and sickness and, and sorrow. I don't know what the Lord has ordered uh, for you and how he's ordered your steps. But I do know that no matter what's going on in your life, good or bad, that there is always and only ever one thing above everything else that ought to occupy your mind. This is the, the singular focus, the one desire that we ought to have. What's, what's the one thing that we are to focus on? What's the one thing that we have asked of the Lord? What's the one thing that we are to seek after? Well, to look at this verse this evening, I want to consider four different aspects of this, this seeking or this request that David makes, the four parts of this request that David makes uh, to the Lord. Uh, So if you'll remember this morning, I had two points, uh, just the turning from and turning toward. Uh, And so this evening I have four points. So I'm still averaging three points a sermon, uh, just to make sure we're all clear on that. But David says there's, there's one thing that he's asking of the Lord, that this, this, uh, this thing, that there's, there's one thing that he seeks after. And so the, the four parts of this request. The first, there's the source of the request. It's, that's who he's asking. Then there's the, the object of the request. That's what he's asking for. Then there's the desire behind the request. That's, that's why he's asking for it. And then finally, the, the result of the request. That's the, that's the now what. What happens next? So the source, object, desire, and result. And those are the, the four things. We'll look at each of those in order. It should be done in just under 90 minutes. So, I'm joking. The first thing we see is the source of the request. We can easily miss this. We can move right past it. But before we even get to the object, before we even get to what he's asking for, notice first who the request is made to. David says, one thing have I asked of, of who? Who does he ask? Who's the source of the request? One thing have I asked of the Lord. God, God and God alone, he's the source of this request. He's the, he's the one that we come to for our requests. And, and this makes sense to us. Uh, he's our heavenly father and uh, even Jesus, he, he told us and how he taught us to pray, we're to pray by saying our father, our father who is in heaven. That's how we ought to pray, and it it's, makes sense for us to bring, as we did earlier in this service, bring our petitions, our requests uh, to him. So we, we understand this, and we understand this even in our own lives and in our, our own relationships. Um, as I was thinking about uh, how to maybe phrase this, I, uh, I thought of um, you know, some of you uh, currently uh, have teenagers, uh, or if you don't have teenagers, you had teenagers at one point, uh, or if uh, you're like me, you were a teenager uh, at one point. So hopefully we can all relate uh, to this analogy at some, on some level. 
But if you remember, as a teenager, or you have teenagers, and you, you want to, to buy something, or you want to, to do something, you want to go to the movies with your friends, or, or whatever you want to do, but there's only one problem. You want to do this, but uh, it costs money, and you don't have any money. So what do you do when you don't have any money, but you need some money? Well, you, you pick between your mom and dad, and at this point, you've already figured out which one you can go to that has the highest likelihood of, of success. Uh, so you, you go to your parent and say, hey, dad, I need $50. <laughs> and what does your dad say? He looks at you and says, what do you need $50 for? But you see, the parent is the source of the request. The parent's the only one who has the ability to fulfill that request that you have. You might not want to, but they really are the only choice that you have to get that money. So you have to, you have to go to them to fulfill that request. And so it is with God at times. Sometimes we, we do begrudgingly uh, go uh, to him. Uh, but, but other times we, we can even go and, and come to the Lord with requests and uh, we come delighted. We know that uh, our Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to his children. And that's especially so when our desires are in line with his desires. And that's the case here. We see that the Lord is, he's the source of this request. He, he answers the, the who question. But what is the object? What's, what's the, the what? What's the object of this request? So let's look at that now. The object of the request. David says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, and that's the thing that I'll seek after. And here it is. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That is, that's the what. That's the object of the request. When, when the teenager comes to you and asks, asks for $50, that, that $50, that's the object of the request. The money is the thing that they want from their parents. Well, what's the one thing that David wants from the Lord? It's the Lord himself. The one thing that David wants more than anything else is to dwell with the Lord in the Lord's house every day of his life. And remember now, this is the same David who's likely fleeing from Saul or fleeing from his enemies. He's sleeping on, a, on, a, on the hard ground with a rock for a pillow under his head. And as he lies in the cold and he's trying to fall asleep, there's one thing that keeps flashing before his eyes. There's one thing that is occupying his mind as he lays there falling asleep. There's one thing that he wants more than anything else in that moment. It's not a warm, home-cooked meal. It's not the comfort of his own kingly quarters and his own bed and his, and his servants. It's not a hot shower. It's not even deliverance or peace from his enemies. No, his request is, is not that the Lord would deliver him back to his house, but his request is that he would stay in the house of the Lord. That's his one desire. That's what he's seeking after that he would dwell in the house of the Lord. Now notice that, not just visit. This isn't hanging out. This is to dwell. That verb means, it means permanence. It means to take up residence. His desire is to take up residence in the house of the Lord. He doesn't want to live anywhere else. He wants to be with the Lord. Nothing else will, will do it for him. Only to be in the presence of the Lord, to make the Lord's home his own home. And so David, he cries out to the Lord and he says, please Lord, hear my one request. My one desire, may I be with you. And so what are you asking of the Lord, church? That's, that's our question. What are you praying for? And again, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to offer up all of our requests 
and our petitions to the Lord just as we've done this evening. God wants us to do that. He says, cast all of your anxieties upon me because I care for you. But is your request to be with God? Is that, is that one of them? Is that the primary one? You see, answering this question, this will expose our view of God. Is, uh, is his steadfast love for us better than life? Or is he simply a means to an end for us? Are you going to your heavenly father asking for him or are you going to him and asking for $50 or for a new and better job or for uh, better health or whatever it might be? Are you asking for him or are you asking to get something from him? See, the Lord is, is not only the source of our request, but he himself must also be the object of our request. But this is good news because, you know what, this is exactly what we need. This is more of God is actually what we all truly and desperately need and what we desire. And the more, of our, more our desires are attuned to God's desires, the, the better off we are. And you see, this gets us then to the third thing, this third aspect of this request, which is the desire behind the request. So we looked at the who, we looked at the source, who we're asking. We looked at the, the object or the what, what we're asking for. But now we need to answer the why question. What's the desire behind this request? What, what's, the, what's the why? David asks, this one thing of the Lord, that he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. That's his one request. But why? Why does he want to do this? Why does he want to dwell with the Lord? You know, there could be a lot of, of good reasons for wanting to dwell with the Lord. <laughs> And wanting to dwell in God's house. Uh, we could imagine certainly God's house would be a very safe place. David would certainly want to live there. It'd be a mighty fortress as uh, Martin Luther and his hymn. Uh, he certainly would be uh, a place for David to find protection and rest and comfort uh, from his enemies, from his trials. That certainly would be a great reason. But that's not the reason why, David says. The desire that's driving David the desire behind his request to be with the Lord is that he wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life so that he can have a front row seat to look upon the Lord, to gaze upon the Lord's beauty. What an incredible statement! This word uh, for gaze, it's not the normal word that we would use, use for seeing. He's not simply looking upon the Lord, but, but this, this word for gaze, it's, it's a word uh, that's used uh, uh, oftentimes to describe the prophets in Scripture. The prophets were seers. Uh, they were ones who had a special relationship with the Lord as, as the Lord's mouthpieces, as uh, God would reveal to them and give them visions that they would see, uh, give them spe- the, the, the words to speak to his people. They were in an intimate relationship with God. And this is what David wanted. David wants this kind of relationship. He wants to be able to gaze upon the Lord, to to look upon him, to see God intimately. He wants to have this close relationship with God, the way that Moses did, the way that the, the prophets after him did. He wants to gaze, to see, to experience in its fullness this, this beauty of the God, of his God. I just love that. It should remind us of, of what we do when we, when we hike up a mountain and we finally have this beautiful vantage point. And what do we do when we get to the top? After that long hike, 
It's tiring. Not my favorite thing to do. But you get to the top and it's, it's all worth it because you're standing there and you're looking out upon the horizon and the, the vantage point and it's beautiful. You just stand there speechless for a moment as you take it all in. Or as the, the artist in the room, Kathy, I'm sure, you go to the VMFA just across the street over there and you find a beautiful painting that just strikes your eye and what do you do? You pull up a chair, you, you pull up a bench, you sit and you look for a while and you, you take it all in. You're captivated by it. Is the beauty of the Lord captivating for you? Are you captivated by the Lord? This word for beauty is used in Scripture to describe uh, all kinds of things. It's used to describe objects and and places. Uh, The taste of bread is described as beautiful. Uh, The foodies in in, uh, here, we can relate to that. We love a good meal. It's beautiful. The inheritance of the land, the land of Canaan, is described in this way. And why wouldn't it be? This this beautiful, amazing uh, land. Uh, Just the the beautiful uh, cornfields on each side of the road in Iowa where the new heavens and the new earth will be be established there. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven there uh, in Pella, Iowa. The land is beautiful. Music is described as beautiful and pleasant in Scripture. And we understand that as well. We, We love music. This word for beauty is also used to describe people and to describe relationships. David himself is called the the sweet or beautiful psalmist of Israel. David and Jonathan are are both uh, beloved and lovely. Their friendship is beautiful. And in the Song of Songs, the, the husband and wife each take turns describing one another with this word for beauty. And their relationship is beautiful. And we we know that feeling, how wonderful, how beautiful marriage is. How wonderful uh, a deep friendship is. How, how meaningful it is to have. But all of these things are just mere reflections of the ultimate beauty and the source of all that is good and beautiful and wonderful. And that's God himself. This word is used to describe God in Psalm 135. It says, Praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing to his name for it is, is pleasant. Literally, in the, in the Hebrew, it says, sing to his name because beautiful. <laughs> the same is said on Psalm 147, praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant. It says, it is good to sing praises to our God. Why? Because beautiful. <laughs> because it's beauty. Because the Lord is, is beautiful and wonderful and majestic. God is perfect. He's unchangeable. He's just. He is good. And we see all of these things perfectly in the life and the person of Jesus Christ, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is, is all of these things. And so you see, if we go back to our analogy of, of the teenager that she asks for money in order to go and do something. Dad says, why do you need $50? You see, the money is, is a means to an end. There, there's a why behind it. They don't ask for the money just so they can have the money. They don't ask for the money to keep it in their wallet and maybe take it out every once in a while to, to look at it. They want it because they want to go and spend it. And maybe they want to go out with their friends or go to the movies or, or buy a new video game, something. But for the Christian, you see, God is not only the means to the end, but he is the end himself. 
God is the source of our request and he's the object of our request and he is the desire behind our request. We ask God so that we can be with God so that we might gaze upon God. And nothing else matters. It's, it's all counted as loss, Paul says, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Jesus, he is the one thing that Paul needs. He's the one thing that he needs. That's why Paul can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. What could be better than being with Jesus? So we see Jesus, we see God, he is the source. He alone is the source. He is also the object. His beauty is our desire and the reason for our request. He's all of these things. But then what? What's the, what's the result or what's the purpose? What happens next? If the who and the what and the why are all Christ, so what? What's the last thing? What's left? This is what we want to look at here, our final point from this passage. It's the, the result of the request. So again, think with me, our hypothetical teenager who more or less might re- resemble uh, one of the teenagers in the room, I don't know. Uh, dad gives in, so they're, they're able to have, and she has her money now, she's able to go out and spend it on whatever uh, it is, able to go and go to the movies uh, with her friends, let's say. So what's, what's the end result of, of going to the movies? Well, you spend two hours on uh, maybe a mediocre film, but you have a good time with your friends, but eventually it ends and, and you need to go home. Or maybe you spend the money on, on food. Maybe that's the, uh, that was the, the desire and the object. Well, you might have enjoyed a good meal, but you'll be hungry the next day. Or you, you go and you get a video game and you enjoy it for a few hours, but then you get bored. And so you see all these things will end eventually. David says, however, that the result of him gazing upon the beauty of the Lord is a further desire a renewed desire, he says, to inquire in his temple. We see the desire to be with Christ fuels the desire to be with Christ more and more. <laughs> the more we look at Christ, the more we want to learn about him. And we desire to know more about him. We want to inquire. And there's a, a beautiful wordplay here. The word for inquire is closely related to, and it's similar, uh, sounds similar to the word seeking above. And so the, the idea behind this verb to inquire is this, this idea to, uh, to split or to divide between two things. Hence this idea of, of discerning. You're trying to distinguish between two things. You make divisions in order to understand how the parts work together. You inquire how a machine is built, and so you take the component parts uh, apart to learn how it works. You see, this is what David wants to do. As he gazes upon the beauty of the Lord, he, he is, is compelled now to inquire and to get to, to know uh, the nuts and bolts, as it were, of how God works and of who he is. The, God's beauty drives David to learn more about him. And that's true of all of us. The more we learn about God, the, the more we want to learn about him. And the more we learn about him, the more we uh, love him and desire him. And the more we love him, the more we want to learn more about him. And so on and so on. 
And so this work of dividing and discerning between these, these aspects of God and his nature and his decrees and, and his attributes, uh, this, is, this is what we, we refer to uh, as the work of theology. And we're, we're all theologians to some extent. We all uh, know and we all learn about who God is and want to learn more. But you don't have to be a, uh, have a PhD in systematic theology. You don't need to have all that to be a Christian. But the more we, we learn about Christ, the more beautiful he becomes and the bigger he becomes in our eyes. And so the more we learn, for example, the more we learn about Jesus' his two natures and the hypostatic union of the, the na- the, uh, his deity and his humanity, the more we, we learn about that, the more we will glory at the beauty of the incarnation and of the redemption that he accomplishes for us. The more we learn and are able to distinguish between uh, the active and the passive obedience of Christ, the, the more uh, that uh, we, we will marvel at the perfect life that he lived and the substitutionary atonement that he, that he accomplished through his death on the cross. The more we understand what he accomplished for us, that will drive us more and more to gaze upon him and to sit at his feet. And it goes on and on. The more we learn about God, the more we learn about Christ, about the Trinity, all these things, as we begin to grasp more and more, we, we love him, we desire him, we, we find him beautiful and lovely. But the more we inquire, the more we learn just how much we, we don't know. <laughs> and we realize that this is actually going to be a never-ending quest. We'll never actually know it all. Even if we had our Bibles completely memorized, we knew every single doctrine of Scripture and of theology, every doctrine of the church, like the back of our hand, we still would have to confess. I love this verse. We'd have to confess with Job and say, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? You see, we will spend eternity gazing upon God's beauty and learning about him, about our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is a beautiful, a marvelous, and a wonderful thing. So Christ, uh, he is the, he's the one thing. He's the object. Uh, his being and uh, his beauty is the desire. And the endless pursuit of knowing him more is the result. And on top of all of that, going back to the very first point, he is the source of those things himself. He was pleased to make himself known that even, even, we, even us uh, fallen and broken and sinful people, we might have access again, once again, uh, to our greatest desire, our, our, our greatest desire, our one purpose, our chief end that we're going to confess together in a few moments that we would glorify God and that we would enjoy him, that we would desire him, that we would, we would find him lovely and beautiful. That is our one thing. Well, this is, simply, this is my favorite verse. It reminds me of just that, that one thing that I will always need, that one desire that I ought to have, good or bad. No matter what's going on in life, this is, this is the ground floor. This is the, the foundation that makes everything else okay, that makes everything else make sense. And so is Christ your one desire? Is he your one desire? Or is he one of many? Oh, to just throw everything else aside, to make him your one desire. 
Make him your one desire tonight. Make this your life verse. When, when uh, things are tough, when, when sin and temptation and trial come upon you, this is a verse that we can cry out. That there's one thing that I desire above all else. When we're hurting, when we're in pain, there's one thing that I desire above everything else. When we're blindsided with the temptations of the flesh to go and sin in so many different ways, no, I'm not going to do it because there's one thing that I desire above everything else. When we're over, one thing that I'll seek after. And sorrow, there's one thing that I desire, one thing that I'll seek after. And when your life cannot be any better, <laughs> when life's going amazing, when life is great, even still, there's one thing. This could all be taken away, but there will still remain one thing that I desire, one thing that I'll seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Would you make Christ your one desire this evening? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for this word from your servant David, who uh, you yourself are the heir to his throne and the, the, the new and better David. You're the son of David. You are the rightful king of kings and lord of lords. And you spoke through this servant, this beautiful, amazing, wonderful prayer. And indeed, it was your prayer. You were the one who delighted above all things in the Father and to do the Father's will. And so we pray that we'd be like you, that we would grow in Christ-likeness, that our desires would be attuned and, and changed, and that you would work on us, in us by your Spirit to, to change our desires, that we would truly uh, desire and seek after you as our, our one singular uh, focus. And so as we go uh, from this place this evening, uh, may, we, may we pray this, uh, this psalm. Uh, with, with genuine and sincere hearts that there is one thing that we desire, one thing that we seek, one thing that we ask of you, that we may be with you, uh, marvel at your beauty, and meditate on you uh, day and night. Lord, would you do that? Uh, would you answer our prayers for that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.